right, Judges chapter 6 tonight. Judges chapter 6, and it's about to, or uh, it's right now it's still going to be pretty easy remembering the Judges. It will be for the next few weeks, but don't worry, it's going to start getting difficult here before long. But who, any of the kids know who all the Judges are so far? Danny, you got it last week. See if any other kids got it figured out yet. Chloe, do you know it? I didn't hear the laugh. And Gideon. All right, she added Gideon on. And Gideon is who we are adding today. So say it with me. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon. I almost forgot. I'm in trouble. All right, I didn't. I didn't write it in my notes. So you'll get it. You'll get it all figured out here pretty before long. But um, yes, yeah, so the next few weeks will be easy because we're kind of staying with Gideon. But um, we're going to start getting introduced to some other characters who. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about them, so that's going to be, it's going to get harder for sure. But we are in chapter 6 today, and Israel has uh, just enjoyed another time of peace after the time of Deborah, and because once again, they called on the Lord, God was merciful, and He delivered them, and now we are in chapter 6, in verse 1, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And here we go again. And this is the theme of the book of Judges. Now remember too though, this is covering about 400 years. About 400 years. So, you know, you can kind of understand it a little bit. And so, you know, just think about the last hundred years. What we have seen in just the religious world. What we have seen in the IFB world. And I'm telling you right now, I don't want to get sidetracked, but um, we are seeing, we were talking about before church, I mean, just a major falling away in independent fundamental Baptist churches. And it is bad, and we are suffering greatly. And I am, I, when, I, when I look at judges, it does give me a glimmer of hope because when I see how merciful God was, it's like if, if, if the IFB would repent... And they would call on to the Lord, out to the Lord, and then if they would straighten up their act, because that's one of the things we're going to see too. Any time they would call on the Lord, it wasn't just immediately, okay, boom, problems fixed. No, they had to start getting some things right. And I'm I'm praying that as we are just seeing this major departure from the faith, there there's literally a conference coming up that everybody is rightfully flipping out about, but unfortunately not enough people are flipping up about it out about it, where they're literally teaching IFB guys, these are former IFB people, teaching their people how to transition their church from King James only to non-King James only. And they're all calling it transitioning too, which I find it interesting because transitioning is like the new trendy thing now that everybody's always doing. So I call them transtextuals is what I call them since they're all transitioning Bible texts. And um, I was calling them that on Twitter the other day and they didn't appreciate that very much. And it's like... You know, it's like you guys, you know, textophobes or you know, transphobes or something. You know, you're so insulted by that. But I'm going to keep calling them transtextuals. And you know what? I started it. Okay? If that becomes a thing, I, I, I started it. And I will have started a trend. But um, I don't know what that means. But anyway, uh, it, it's bad. But I do. I, I have hope. I, I do believe. Uh, I'm hoping maybe the IFB will just kind of get a wake-up call. Because they are there. They're to blame for a lot of this stuff. 
you know, because they have a lot, of, a lot of false doctrine in. There's been a lot of corruption. There's been a lot of cover-ups. Uh, there's a lot of things that they have done wrong. And because of this, though, a lot of these guys are taking because they, you know, the Holy Spirit's just absent in their life. They're not convicted. Now they call if you're convicted by a sin, they say that's because of legalism. Is what they call it. You know, we used to call it Holy Ghost conviction. They would say it's because of legalism. So it's like if you feel like if you feel like staying home Sunday night and watching the Super Bowl, you should stay home and watch the Super Bowl. And if that bothers you, it's because you're of legalism. That's the kind of stuff that they're pushing. I mean, it's the type of junk that is being pushed and accepted big time by people. And what they're and then you know you the, because the Holy Spirit has been speaking to these people a long time because they've hardened their necks. The only people that are are people in the IFB, and then they use the, all the sins and you know flaws that they have as an excuse not to listen to them. But you know, again, they're not they're not sincere because if they were sincere, it wouldn't be about you know it, it wouldn't matter what the IFB is doing wrong. They would just fix it, reform it, and just get those things right. But that's not happening, and it's it's going to be bad. It's always going to be bad. And you know, thankfully, you know, we're independent churches. We don't have to participate. In it, but you know, I do like fellowship. I like having other IV churches we can fellowship with. But it's just getting to where you can't as much as you want to because they're compromising so bad. And I don't want to go down that road of compromise. But again, I do believe, uh, I do have hope for revival. Uh, but I think we still have a few popes that need to die out that just are wielding too much power right now. And I'm hoping maybe when they go, the Holy Spirit will be able to step in and, and fix some of this stuff. But we'll see what happens. In the meantime, I, our church isn't going to wait around for that to happen. We're going to keep doing things the way we're doing them. And we're going to keep on uh, you know, preaching against junk that's going on in there. And we're, we're going to do things right. We don't have to be a Laodicean church. So, Verse 2, though, says, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. Now watch this, okay? Now, I, I, I hate to chase too many rabbits tonight, but when I was studying for this yesterday, I, I got really inspired uh, to preach a sermon that... I probably don't need to preach from this text, but I can't help it. I did my taxes yesterday, and so this is kind of the thing. But notice how we have Israel, while they are sowing, somebody's coming along and taking everything, <laughs> taking all the increase. I don't know if you all are going to see a parallel here, but it says, and, they, and so they camped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. Till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. So what do we have going on here? They're doing all this work, and every time they produce something, Midianites come along and they take it all away from them. Who does that remind you of? Reminds me of the government. And what are they doing? Just waste, And they're just doing it to destroy it. They're not accomplishing anything with it. They're doing it because they hate Israel. They're doing it because they're enemies of Israel. And both of these people, the Midianites, the Amalekites, these were people that did you know, kind of have, in, in a way, 
kind of some claim to that area. Both of these groups are people who descended from Abraham. Because Midian was one of the sons of Abraham that we don't talk about very much because, you know, you have Ishmael that was with Hagar. You have Isaac that was with Rebekah. But after Rebekah, um, not Rebekah, uh, Sarah. But after Sarah died, Abraham took another wife, Keturah, and had several sons. And one of them was Midian. And so this guy, uh, you know, the Midianites, they also descend from Abraham. But the Amalekites also descend from Abraham because they were uh, specifically from the Edomites. So these are people that, you know, should be friendly with them, should be on good terms, but they did they had a lot of bad history together. And you got to remember too, you know, during the 400 years when Israel is not in their land and they're in uh, Egypt, you know, during four, you know, if, if you're in a land for 400 years, pretty soon people are going to start to think that land is theirs. You know, that's just kind of normal. I mean, like, you know, if the Indians came and said, you know, we're taking land, we've only been here for a couple hundred years, a few hundred years, we're like, hey, this, you know, this is our land now, you know, it's like, no, we had it first. And that's kind of what's going on in Israel and Palestine right now between those people. So, you know, these kind of things have been going on all throughout history. And so there is, there's just a lot of hatred for each other. So they're doing these things. They're just destroying everything Israel's producing to just to mean them, to destroy them, to starve them out. And it just reminded me of the government. And it says, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. And here we go again with Israel crying out to the Lord. But notice God being merciful again. Now, something we need to understand okay, about the mercies of God is, I mean, one of the great attributes of God is His mercy. And it is something that we sing about. It is something that we talk about. It is something that we have all experienced. We have all been beneficiaries of the mercies of God. But one of the biggest mistakes anyone could ever make is thinking that God's mercy is unlimited. God's mercy is not unlimited. While it is great, you know, it's not unlimited. And here's the scary thing about it. We don't know where that limit is at. But let me just read a few verses because a lot of times people too, they go on... You know, saying, you know, it's like there are areas where God says, I'm done. And then people start singing about the mercies of God like he's not done. You know, like when it comes to reprobates, like when it comes to homos, like when it comes to Israel, all of a sudden they're just like, oh, no, you don't understand the mercies of God. Well, no, I don't completely understand. I can't completely fathom the mercy of God, but I do know there's a line. And in Genesis chapter six and verse three. It says, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And what did God do? God destroyed the earth with a flood. You know why? Because his patience ran out. God was merciful for a long time. But you know what? He reached a limit and he eventually brought the hammer down. In Psalms 103 and verse 8, it says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. And chide, it's, it's like debating. He's not, he's not always just going to debate with you, argue with you. And you know what? God will, because God's merciful, he does allow us sometimes to rebel against him for a little while. And folks, for God to let us rebel at all is him being merciful because we're man, we're dust, he's God. And anytime God does not just, you know, send us straight to hell when we disobey, 
That is God being merciful. But here in Psalms, while it's saying about the mercies of God, it says He's not always going to chide. That's not always always going to be. Neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Okay? He, he, what's He saying? He's been good to us. We haven't got what He deserved. But is He telling him this? So like, don't worry, folks. You're all good. God's not mad at you. He's not, he's not saying it for that reason. He's letting them know, hey, God has already been good. God's already proven His mercy. But folks, He's not going to keep His anger forever. Eventually, He's coming after us. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. And so right there is why God is merciful. He remembers what we are. He remembers that we're dust. But notice, He says in here while He very eloquently talks about the mercy of God, He says, He's not always going to chide. It's not going to last forever. Eventually, He's going to bring the hammer down. And then in Genesis 3.19, says that the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art. And unto dust shalt thou return. So, again, God is merciful. All day long, we could talk about God's mercies, but eventually, He's going to bring the hammer down. And so, one of the things we're going to see next here in Judges, and this is kind of a pattern too that we see in the Bible, and something that we need to keep in mind. And, I, and honestly, I, I think this, you know, God could do something like this. God may do something like this. In the independent fundamental Baptist world, I think God has done some things like this in the independent fundamental Baptist world even recently. But notice it says in verse 8 that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And so God ends up doing something he would often do before he really brings the hammer down and he sends a prophet. Now, whenever God would send a prophet, you know, you could interpret that one of two ways. You know, that sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? But the thing is, it really isn't because... And I guess I should say it is and it isn't. Okay. Now here's the thing. If you have no intention of repenting of anything, then a prophet coming along is a really bad thing because that prophet is coming on. He's coming along because it's like, this is God giving you one last chance. And, and so the thing is, if you aren't going to repent, when you see that prophet, you know, you're about done. We are going to see later. And when you get in the book of first Samuel, when he came to Bethlehem to anoint David, when the people saw him, they trembled. And they asked him, comest thou peaceably? When they saw the prophet of God coming, they got scared because they're like, we in trouble for something? You know, and it's kind of like when you see cops. It's like, you know, if a policeman came walking in here, we'd be like, you know, we'd all, we'd all get nervous, right? Because typically, you know, when authority shows up, you know, it's because you did something bad. And typically when a prophet would show up, it was because they did something bad, they were in trouble, but with that prophet, usually if God sends a prophet, he's telling them, sometimes he would tell them just because he was God and to let them know you're all going to die. 
But usually when he would send a prophet, it was because he was giving them an opportunity for repentance. So a prophet coming along, you know, it's, it's good. It's God being merciful. God could have just brought the hammer down on Israel right then. But God sent a prophet. And as long as they're going to obey, as long as they're going to repent, then, you know, you've got a chance. You have hope. And I'm telling you, I, you know, what I think we need in the independent fundamental Baptist world are some prophets to come along and just, you know, God's people and just call out some of the junk that's going on in there. And, you know, and I do believe that God has sent people that have successfully made a lot of noise and kind of, you know, to wake them up in certain areas. But typically, the IFB kind of acts like Pharisees and it's like, well, you know, who are these guys? You know, they didn't come from our Bible colleges. You know, this guy's got this issue, he's got that issue. You know what? A lot of God's prophets had issues. A lot of God's judges had issues. And, you know, at the same time, we shouldn't be surprised if God sends some characters along that, you know, don't meet all our IFB standards on things to just give the IFB a kick in the pants because they need it. And it is, it's, it's interesting the people God would choose to use, and we don't have a whole lot of time to spend on this, but God did, he sent, that's what he would do. When he sends the prophet, you better get your act together. You better get your act together. And he tells them not to fear the God of the, Am- God of the Amorites. And, so, and not only were they commanded not to fear other gods, but God gave them every reason possible to not fear because of what God had done in Egypt. They had no reason to fear because what God had done in, uh, with other uh, oppressors that they had, because of what God did with Sisera, because of what God did you know, through the other judges like Othniel and Ehud. So verse 11 says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash, the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And this reminds me of the guy who does work under the table to make sure the government, you know, doesn't know so they don't get taxed into oblivion. Okay? So what do, you, what do you think about people who do that kind of thing? I'm not going to say. Uh, but uh, verse 12 says, <laughs> And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Okay? Now, it's very important because the title of tonight's message is don't lay out fleeces. Okay? Don't lay out fleeces. A lot of people, they read this story of Gideon and they get inspired to do something that I'm telling you, you don't want to do this. I do not think it is a good idea to lay out fleeces. And if you're not familiar with that reference, you will be by the end of this, this message. But notice this angel comes to him. So first off, we have a prophet kind of calling on Israel to repent. And then God sends an angel to choose a man who's going to lead them in battle to defeat the Midianites. I mean, these, uh, the Amalekites, these, this massive army that they should, they're not really capable, humanly speaking, of defeating. And God sends this angel and he says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand, hands of the Midianites. So notice, first off, how Gideon, he's completely ignorant about all the sin that Israel is involved in. Probably because that was all he knew. 
He grew up with, it, with being involved with Israel, being involved in idolatry. We're going to see his own father had an image of Baal and a grove that he made for him. And, and, and imagine that. Here we have Gideon, who's from a home that has an image of Baal, and we're going to see his father was was probably a leader in this community where he lived. And then all this bad stuff's happening to him. And Gideon's like, what's going on? Where's all the miracles that he did before? Obviously, he does not know the Word of God. He, did, he had not read Deuteronomy. I don't know how available the Scripture was during that time. It was rare that prophets were speaking during that time. And Israel was not very obedient. I doubt they were reading Scriptures to the people. Because if they had been reading the Scriptures to the people, they would have seen all these things that were happening were exactly what God said would happen if they started serving other gods. And, but Gideon, he's like, what, what did we do wrong? And you know, that's how it is in most churches today, most Christians today. What are we doing wrong? I mean, you'll have just false doctrine after false doctrine being promoted. Well, I didn't see anything wrong. The guy seemed like a nice guy. You know, and then they're mad at some of us because, you know, we're kind of mean when we preach sometimes. Oh, you know, you guys got a bad attitude. You know, it's like, you know, but, it, yeah, but that other guy is preaching heresy, blasphemy, and they just don't care. Because he said a few jokes that were funny and gave him a good time in church. You know, and it's like, how do you not understand why things are going so bad? Because that's the other thing too. When I listen to all these preachers lamenting all their guys leaving the IFB going trendy and stuff, all their guys, you know, transitioning, you know, from the King James, I was like, well, maybe it's because they got turned off because you had that weirdo Ruckmanite come in and preach all that numerology junk to prove the King James Bible is the Word of God. You know, may, maybe that's why. Again, you know, there's no excuse to dump truth. But let me tell you, if my only, if, if if I was the only thing stopping you from dumping your King James Bible, if I'm what's stopping you, not knowledge, not the Bible, not the Holy Spirit, if I'm the only thing that's stopping you, it's going to be real easy for you to justify dumping your King James Bible if I let some ruckmanite come in here and just preach all kinds of nut job garbage. You know, if you can't look at Psalms 119. 176 verses, 16 times 11, 176. That's the Word of God, chapter 2, proves King James Bible. 176 is not 1611. I mean, we can always divide things and add things and ways to make them work. And I don't, even, I don't want to even get into the weird stuff people do with numerology. It's stupid. It's stupid. We cannot do this kind of thing. And, you know, so it's like, that's why you're losing people. To this stuff, we were talking about before church. A lot of people in the, the for, a lot of these former IFB people too are going preterist now. And you know what? I I think I think preterist is way worse than anything pre-tribbers ever thought about teaching. But at the same time, these people are so turned off by the dispensational nonsense that they've been hearing that they're just they're they're dumping everything, you know. And listen, not everything. The dispensationalists teach is wrong. Not everything pre-tribbers teach is wrong. But there's been so much bad that they've allowed in there and that they've not repented of when they have been confronted by these things. So, you know, when, you know, when did God do anything to wake us up? You know what? And you know, people... No, God would never do it this way. You know what? A lot of these people got DVDs sent to their church. A lot of people did. This stuff's all over the Internet. These people, they have people in their churches who have seen all these things talking about this stuff. Oh, you know, God wouldn't speak to us in that way. 
Well, maybe he would since y'all aren't getting it from your King James Bibles. Maybe he would. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you how God will do something and how he won't do something. I don't know. But I'm telling you, their lack of repentance in this area is costing them greatly. And they're going to keep on suffering if they do not repent of this stuff. So, uh, but again, most people, especially if you grew up in it, and a lot of people my age, they've grown up around this weird dispensational teaching. They've they've grown up around this Hal Lindsey junk that they don't even realize came from Hal Lindsey because it's, it's all they've ever known. They've heard it their whole life. These things have been repeated so long. And so when you go and you call them out about junk, they're like, what junk? What am I doing wrong? You know, I didn't get anything from Hal Lindsey. I don't even know who Hal Lindsey is. You know, I don't know anything about Schofield. I don't know anything about Clarence Larkin. But that's because the, four, you know, the, the previous generation drank all that Kool-Aid and then they did. They gave it to my generation and that's all they've ever known. And they have no idea how bad it is and how messed up all this stuff is. And, you know, and so when you do, when you confront them, they're like, you know, what have we even done? I don't understand why everything's falling apart. And that's kind of how Gideon was. He was ignorant about the state that they were in. And so, uh, some of the things we need to get a hold of when it comes to these type of things is God is under no obligation to do any more than He has already done through preserving His Word to help get you the message about sin in your life. If you get, and, and, you know, let's talk to you as individuals now. If the Lord shows you a sin that's in your life, okay, God is not under any obligation to do more than what He has done with this right here. Some of y'all want an angel. Some of y'all want a miracle. Some of y'all want to lay out a fleece to figure out if you're going to actually start obeying what the Bible says. God is not obligated to do that for you. God gave you His preserved Word. That's more than enough. You, you better just read this book and do what it says. And two, just because your sin is, is not a commonly talked about sin in an IFB church, it doesn't mean that you have an excuse to not know any better. Again, IFB, we have our hobby horse sins. We have our things we talk about and our things we don't really talk about. And, you know, a lot of times people are, it's like because my pastor is not talking about it, I don't need to worry about it. If God shows you a sin in your life, you better worry about it. You better do something about it. Don't just depend on me to show you all your sins. Okay? You get in the Bible, you follow the Holy Spirit. Also, you're a fool to wait for that prophet to come along or to wait for a sign to get you to do something right. I'm going to show you. You're, you're a fool to do that kind of thing. So verse 14 says, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee. Now, when Gideon gets told what to do from an angel of the Lord, you know what he should do? He should just obey it. He was told what to do. He was told by an angel what to do. But notice what he says. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And this is just like what God said to Moses. Remember when God sent Moses? And he's like, you know, who am I? And, you know, I can't do this. And God said, didn't I tell you I'm going to be with you? And you know, it's pathetic that God had to have this conversation again with Gideon. Gideon should have known the story of Moses and how God, you know, spoke to him and how Moses did fine because God was with him. Gideon should have understood all that, but Gideon was not well taught in the scriptures. Gideon came from a home where his father made an image to Baal. 
And so, uh, this, is, this is God being super merciful right here. If God wanted to, God could have said, Gideon, you should know better than this. You're dead. And Israel's dead. That's what he, he could have done, but he didn't because he was being merciful. Verse 17, And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Show me a sign thou talkest with me. So I'm here talking to you right now. You know, I, you know, just do what I tell you to do. I need, I need a sign. He's, listen, signs are for people with no faith. And people get inspiration from Gideon to start asking for signs. Don't do that. I've had people tell me about how I laid out a fleece like Gideon. I'm like, why would you do that? Have you not read the following chapters of Gideon? But 1 Corinthians 14.22 says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So signs are for unbelievers. Are you a believer? Then you know what? Preaching is supposed to help straighten you out. The Word of God is supposed to, what, supposed to be what straightens you out. Why do you need a sign? If you're saved, why do you need a sign? You don't need a sign. If God's Word says to do something, you do it. Don't need signs. And so, what, and what we're going to eventually see, and it's not in this chapter, but God, or Gideon is eventually going to do a great act of faith. I mean, a very great act of faith. We're going to see where it's like Gideon finally learns his lesson and he stops asking for signs. Because it's like the more signs God gives him, well, then that would mean the less faith that he needs. But God is pleased by faith. And God wants all of us at some point to do something to show faith. And because Gideon keeps asking for signs and getting all these signs, God finally has to take his multitude down to 300 people to go up against a multitude that was already beyond what they could have defeated. You know, humanly speaking, but God wanted Gideon to have faith. And so, folks, just mark it down. You ask for a sign, you know what God's just going to do? He's going to put a bigger challenge in your way. You know why? Because He's gonna eventually going to get some faith out of you. So just, you know what? Don't ask for signs. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want things to be any tougher than they are. I don't want to face any greater challenges than ones I'm already facing. So, you know, what? I think I'm, I'd rather just believe the Bible. I'd rather just do whatever it says, whenever it says to do it. And that way I don't need any major testings. I don't, I, I don't, I'd rather not have that. So verse 18 says, Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid, and unleavened cakes, and ephah of flour. And the flesh put he in a basket, and he put forth in a broth in a pot, and brought it out to him under the oak, and presented it. And, uh, and, uh, and the angel said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and lay them upon this rock, and pour out the broth, and he did so. And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, Fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an offering of the Abizarites. And so this would have been a cool moment for Gideon. First, you know, because it doesn't take a whole lot of faith to believe something after seeing this miracle with the angel. I mean, he takes a staff, touches a rock, and catches everything on fire, consumes it, he disappears out of his sight. 
Yep, that was an angel. He's like, I've seen it. You know, he thought he was going to die because he saw an angel. But then the Lord speaks to him. The Lord tells him, hey, you're not going to die. I'm going to do something with you, Gideon. You know, I'd like to think that if an angel came to me and spoke to me, and if the angel did a miracle, that after it told me to do something, I would be ready and raring to go without a care in the world. I'd like to think I would be that way. But, you know, the truth is, you know, if you won't follow the Bible, you're not going to do that much better with an angel. You know, and, uh, and Gideon still doesn't see it. And so verse, we'll keep reading verse 25. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice of the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. And if God is going to bless Israel, they need to fix some things that cause them to be cursed. So it's like the IFB. If they want things to get better, you know what they need to do? They need to fix some things. They need to stop just having prayer meetings where they just pray and cry. No, they need to confess sins. And then they need to repent of those sins and change. But what do they do? They have conferences where they just, we ain't changing. We ain't, we're not doing nothing different. We're, we're going to stay the same forever. We're going to our grave this way. No, you need to repent. That's why you're dead. That's why God's not moving. You need to fix some things. It says, it says then Gideon took the ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him, and so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. This, think about how bad Israel got. They're ready to put a guy to death for getting rid of an altar of Baal, which they actually should have been put to death for building an altar to Baal. That's how backwards things had gotten. You know, this is an example of you know, calling evil good and good evil. I mean, this is really backwards, but this is the point Israel is at. So again, this is God being merciful, and so and it would and so uh, it it would appear that Gideon's father was a leader in the city because this was his father's idol. But notice all the men of the city are upset about this, and it just shows how bad even Gideon's family was. And it says, and Joash said unto all that stood against him because they want to kill Gideon. They said, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. If he be a God, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore on that day he called him Jeroboam, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. Now, I can't say for sure what motivated Joash, Gideon's father, to say what he did, but he did make a good point here. Because if Baal is God then Baal should be able to take care of Gideon. It's like, all right, you all want me to, you, you all want to kill Gideon. And maybe he's just saying this because he's a son and he wanted to save his son. But he does bring up a valid point. If Gideon is so bad, then let Baal take care of him. But, you know, he, he threw down his altar. So maybe 
Or maybe he figured out through this, you know what, Baal isn't a God. Maybe he was such a believer that it like destroyed his faith that Gideon was even able to destroy it. I don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say. But he he did say, you know what, let Baal plead for himself. And then he called Gideon Jeroboam, which we're going to see him. He gets called that a lot after this in the Bible. You know, which means Baal will contend. So he's saying this like, you know what? Baal's going to be coming after him now. But you know what? We're going to end up seeing that Gideon is becomes very victorious in his battles. You know why? Because Baal has nothing on God. Because Baal uh, is nothing. And so, uh, you, know, you know, based on this name that he gave Gideon, you know, one could assume that while Joash didn't want to do harm to his son, he might have thought, too, that Baal will do him harm. So, I don't know, we don't know for sure. Uh, I'm just kind of, you know, reading between the lines based on what he said here, because the Bible doesn't tell us what his motivation was. But it says that all the Midianites and Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. Now, I want you to picture this massive multitude, because this is, this is a multitude that can't be numbered, in the valley of Jezreel. Can anybody think about another biblical battle? In the Valley of Jezreel, the another name for the Valley of Jezreel is the Megiddo Valley, or the Valley of Armageddon. This is the, this place where this happened. Here is the same place where the armies of the earth are going to gather together, preparing for the battle of the great day of God Almighty that we see in Revelation. So, just kind of an interesting thing, right there. Uh, but this is that same location. And so, uh, this, uh, a lot of great battles were fought in that area. That's where Joe, uh, not Joash, um, Josiah, King Josiah died, uh, in that valley during a great battle. A lot of stuff has happened there biblically. It's kind of an interesting thing. But, um, but the Amalekites, again, they were a part of the Edomites. They also were some of Israel's greatest enemies. And while we don't see as many references in the Bible, of the Edomites going after Israel, just understand a lot of the judgment that was on the Edomites was actually because of the Amalekites, because they're a part of that too. And the Amalekites, they were they were horrible to Israel. We see constant references to Amalek. They were always causing problems for them. And you know, they are the people upon whom the Lord has indignation forever. And so when you uh, there's a lot of references in the Bible to judgment coming on the Edomites and the Amalekites because of stuff that they did to Israel. And they did. They had a long history of messing with each other. And so, uh, but the Midianites too, again, they descend from Abraham. They're kind of related as a people. Also, Moses' father-in-law. Remember Jethro, priest of Midian. From the, so these were people, you know, they had peace with at one time. But, you know, hundreds of years can change things quite a bit. And a lot of hostility at this point. And so verse 34 says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Ebenezer was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali. And they came up to meet him. And so this is where Gideon is gathering this army of thousands of people that God's going to get rid of later. And I think the reason God got rid of this army is because... Gideon needs to have faith and Gideon's already had asked for a sign one time and God gave a sign and he's about to ask for a couple more. 
And I personally believe this is why God cut his army down to 300. But it says, And Gideon said unto God, Now watch this question. If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. So, wait a minute. Should we ever ask, Lord, if you do what you said, should we do something like that? Would it be right for us as a Christian, as a saved person, say, all right, Lord, if you, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, like you said in your word, because I put my faith and trust in you, I need to see a miracle. Folks, we shouldn't do that. You understand? Now, people do that kind of thing sometimes. You know, Christians, maybe they don't know any better, but we need to understand we are insulting God when we do that kind of thing. You know, if I tell you I'm going to do something and then you need me to do some kind of extra thing to show some kind of proof, that means you don't trust me. That's not, that's, you know, that, and that says a lot about what you think about my word. Now, that's with me. Okay. I'm man. I'm very capable of messing up, but God never has. God always comes through. And so when Gideon asked this question again, and I believe God was being merciful to Gideon because God understood where Gideon came from. But this is an insulting question to ask God. And the fact that God did what Gideon wanted, this is an example of God's mercy. This is not an example for us to go to so we can start laying out fleeces. All right, Lord, if you want me to give my tithe this Sunday, I, I need, you know, I need to watch two deer walk through my front yard at six o'clock tomorrow morning. Read your Bible. That's where your sign's at. You know, that, that, that's how you know what to do. I don't know if I really want to go soul winning, you know, this, this weekend. You know, Lord, you know, if you give me this sign, you know, no. Hey, go ye and all over and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, we, I already told you what you need to do in the Bible. You don't need to be asking for these signs all the time. And you know what? I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand, but guess what? We've all done this kind of thing before. We've all done this kind of thing before. It's not right. If you know something's right, you need to just do it. This is an insulting question. And so in verse 37, Behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou said. If I see this miracle, then I'll know you're going to do what you said. Insulting. And it was so, for he rose up in the morning and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me. I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon the ground. Let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on the ground. Insulting. Insulting. But God was merciful. God did it. God did, and, and listen, you know, it's possible somebody might do something like this, a new Christian, and God might do something for them. But I'm telling you, we, you here today, we should know better, and we shouldn't need this type of thing. And I promise you this, if God in His mercy does something like this for you, just mark it down, He's still going to expect faith from you at some point. You know what this means? You're going to find yourself in a tougher situation. 
You're going to find yourself in a, you know, if you're, if you're wondering about tithing or something because you're going through some kind of financial hardship, go ahead and ask for that fleece. But you know what? The Lord will probably take care of you there. He might be merciful and give you what you're looking for. But guess what? A bigger challenge is coming up. A bigger test is coming up now. You know why? Because at some point, God wants to have, get you to actually be a person of faith and actually believe His Word. At some point, God's going to want to get there with you. So you know what? Just don't ask for these things. I don't want to face greater temptations and greater challenges in these areas. And so, something important that we can learn from the book of Judges is that God is merciful to those who are in ignorance. This is an important thing. And we could probably preach a whole message on this. I'm not going to. But while Israel as a nation had disobeyed God greatly and were under His judgment, God still cared about individuals and could see the heart of individuals. And God would take those things into consideration, you know, and, and what God would, and God would judge righteously in those situations. So for example, in Acts chapter 17, we all know this passage in verse 30, or 29. It says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like a gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Let me ask you, has God ever been okay with idolatry? No, idolatry has always been a sin. But has God been merciful to nations in the past who were involved in idolatry? Yes, because they were, they were, they were ignorant. They didn't know much. They didn't have much light. But now, in the book of Acts, the gospel is going to the whole world. Light is being shined throughout the whole world. And when Paul's now is preaching at this place, shining a light, preaching the truth, you know what he tells these people? Hey, there was a time when God was winked at this type of thing because of ignorance, but now he's commanding all men everywhere to repent. You know why? Because now they should know better. And let me tell you something. God expects more from us today than he did from people like Gideon. You know, when you hear people use, you know, the failures of David and the failures of Abraham and people like that as an excuse for their immorality, God expects more from you than He did from them. We have the completed Scriptures. We have their stories. We've seen the consequences of what happens when they, you make those kind of mistakes. And then for you to still go do those things, God's really going to be upset with you in that situation. So, you know, don't... Don't judge yourself that way because you have been given so much more and to whom much is given, much is required. And one thing we need to see in the Bible is sometimes when God is talking and pronouncing judgment or blessing, sometimes in the Bible, God is, God's dealings are with an individual. That's an important thing to understand. Sometimes when God is, when the Bible is speaking, God is dealing with a house or a family, you could say. God often would do that. Sometimes, when God is speaking, God is judging or even blessing a city, an entire city. Sometimes, it's an entire nation. And sometimes, too, God is even dealing with the world. And so, God might deal with one city differently than He does another city. You know, I think God expects more from certain cities and towns in America than He does from certain towns and cities in China, where they have very little light. And so the last thing we would want to do is like, well, you know, they seem like they're getting away with stuff over in China. 
So I guess we can do that kind of stuff over here too. No, we can't. We've got churches all over the place out here. We've got Bibles readily available everywhere. We have religious freedom out here. They don't have that stuff over there. So understand, God might deal with them differently than He does us. When it comes to families, you know, God will probably deal with certain sins harsher with me because of the family that I come from than somebody who comes from a family of drunks and drug addicts. Do you all understand how, see how God works in that area? And so God in this story here is being extremely merciful because Gideon came from a really sorry family during a really bad time in Israel's history. And what is ridiculous is when people today from a fundamental Baptist church in a New Testament era, when they have the completed scriptures, want to lay out fleeces like Gideon. No, you should be past that. You should be way past that. You should see where it says, as God said, that's enough. You want a sign that you should or shouldn't do something? Here's a verse in the Bible. Okay. Debate over. Problem solved. We're, cha we're changing everything right now. That's how we should do things. And so, uh, understand too, I believe, in, I, I believe in 70 AD, God judged Israel big time because I, I think that's when they did. They, they reached their limit with God. He didn't chide with them forever. And he brought the hammer down and he brought the hammer down on them hard. Now, why didn't he do it to the rest of the world? You know why he didn't do it to the rest of the world? They hadn't had the gospel yet like, you know, like Israel had. They had just gotten it. They didn't even have a chance to really do anything with it. And I believe just like God gave Israel from the time of Abraham to Jesus Christ roughly 2,000 years, God's given the rest of the world that time too. And let me tell you, we better learn from it. And we see what God did to Israel and to Jerusalem in the first century because of their rejection of the things of God. And one of these days, God is going to judge the entire world in the same way. And it's, it's going to be bad. It's, it's going to be brutal when that comes. And so, um, you know, right here in uh, this story of Gideon, we do, we see an example of God just being very merciful because of the time that they were in. And I just, I, I think we can definitely all get principles from this story. But the last thing you should do when you read the story is like, I'm going to go put out some fleeces tonight. I'm going to go see if I can't get God to do some miracle to get me to do something I are, he's already told me I should be doing. We do not need that. Let's just obey the Bible. We should be way past this this point. And so with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this uh, great story and the miracles you did. We thank you for the, your mercy uh, that we see on display in this chapter. And I pray you'll help us to uh, not take advantage of your mercy, but help us to uh, you know, be repentant when we need to. And I pray you'll help us to just obey your word and do what you said because you said it and uh, not go asking for signs and miracles. In your name we pray. Amen.